Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. You know, the life of a stand-up comedian always has its ups and downs. But one rule about comics is absolute. Only the best survive. Well, today you'll meet one of the very best, the very funny Bob Zaney joins us to talk about the grand reopening of the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana next week. Bob will be there from November 5th through the 8th. And then in the second half hour, Vegas Never Sleeps presents Sports Rock and Tours. You probably remember today's guest. He is a pro football Hall of Famer who played for the Vikings and the Giants and was also a broadcaster, television star, and today is a top leader in the world of business. Today, we welcome Fran Tarkenton, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. How great? Fran is a member of both the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the College Football Hall of Fame as well. All that and more information on how to connect to Sports Rockin' Tours coming up a little later. But for now, time to laugh. Let's go to Vegas, baby. Let's go tonight. Let's go tonight. Well, it must be great to know what you want to be when you're in high school and then Go ahead into that field, a really hard field, stand-up comedy, and do great at it and be a star all these years later. Well, we got somebody with us that has done just that. His name is Bob Zaney, and you're not going to want to miss him because, good news, the Laugh Factory over at the Tropicana next week is opening back up, and Bob is the first out of the gate. He'll be there November 5th through the 8th. Well, first of all, Bob, it's got to be exciting to get back to Vegas. This must frustrate a stand-up comic with what's going on out in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time in my career, because I started in 77, I was on the Gong Show with Chuck Barris. You know, that was like my first introduction to show business. I was 15 since like 1984. I've, I've worked, you know, probably 30 to 40 to 50 weeks a year. And they they took it away, man. They took it away, Stephen. I wanted to ask you about that Gong Show thing. I mean, everybody remembers that. You got the hook initially, and then you came back. Talented. I was a celebrity judge. I did two weeks when they did the, the reboot of it 10 years later, which was kind of cool. And then the coolest thing about all that was is that uh, I, when I did The Tonight Show with Jay Leno in 1997, like 15, what was it, 20 years later, I was, at the, I was in the, right across the way from where the Gong Show was taped at NBC. Well, you won. You're good on TV shows, though, because you won Star Search, and that was a big deal in its day, and you beat Carrot Top. I mean, I guess you must see him around town when you're here, and you guys laugh about that because you beat him. Well, actually, Scott's a really good friend of mine. That's his given name, uh, Carrot Top. I didn't win. I I got to the semifinals. I beat him in the regular rounds, and then I lost the – so I didn't get to go to the finals. But, uh, you know, he shows the clip of me beating him on Star Search in his uh, show at the Luxor. So when (laughs) he's starting back up, too. Well, what was that that like with Ed McMahon? Because at the time, that was a big deal. It was really kind of the only show of its kind then. Well, Ed, actually, him and I end up working together because I did the Jerry Lewis Telethon for 17 years. And at midnight, they gave me that spot to come out and do stand-up. And Ed would always stay around to make sure he was there to introduce me and and, uh, play off me during my set. So for those eight minutes, I got to be Johnny Carson. (laughs) And uh, so my first experience with Ed, he wrote a book called Inter... uh, I think it's called uh, Laughing Out Loud. 
his last book, and he said that was the funniest moment on Star Search because after I beat Carrot Top, I walked over to Ed and I tripped and fell on the ground. And I got up and I said, hey, Ed, I'm going to make 100 grand after the show one way or another. I saw something I think everybody should tune into. If you have any doubts about Bob and or if you can't get out to the trop this week, you got to see him. It's on uh, Dry Bar Comedy, in which it's kind of a first of all, what is Dry Bar's comedy? I mean, I, they have some really good entertainers, of course, with you and some other people that are very good, very entertaining stuff. Well, Dry Bar, it, it, it's a club in Provo, Utah, so they don't sell alcohol. That's why they call it that. But uh, it, uh, they've been presenting a lot of comedians the last few years, and uh, it's starting to get a lot of uh, attention, my special. It, they've chopped it up and put it on YouTube, and I think the Goodwill Tour, which I do, has gotten over 77,000 views in about under two weeks. So people are getting to see it, and it's a great exposure for comics, and you know, I always tell people, you know, gather the family around the Internet and watch it. It's pretty clean. I do both shows. You know, I got an adult show and I got the clean show. So, you yeah, well, we saw it and we loved it. I mean, we saw it on YouTube and it was very funny. And, you know, sometimes I think it's almost harder for a comedian, right, to, to work really clean because now it's just so expected that you're going to do something off color or worse. And for you to have to go out there and do that and you get those big belly laughs has to feel good. Well, you know, the, the thing about off-color is the fact that, you know, what is off-color? No one knows anymore. It's funny, you know, about 20 years ago, I'd be doing corporate shows and say, well, just be uh, TV clean at 8 o'clock hour. And I said, have you watched Friends and what they say? So, you know, it's all left to interpretation of what is clean and what isn't, you know? Well, you do a very funny bit, and what they'll see is you get up there and read the news. Very topical. Uh, how did you come up with that? Was that the idea of, like, doing a news report? Well, I, it's called the Zany Report, and uh, I've been doing it for years. I started out at KLOS in Los Angeles. Uh, I was hired uh, to uh, do weekends, and I did call-ins to the morning show with Fraser Smith, and I started doing the Zany Report, and then uh, I did it with Bob and Tom, which is syndicated of over, you know, 200 markets uh, for over uh, for at least uh, 18 years every Tuesday, and I do it every Tuesday now. It's just my take on the news. That's all it is. It had a real good ring to it. I mean, one of the great lines was your uh, line about going to uh, funerals all the time. And I love that, you know, a little play on the always the bridesmaid thing. Yeah, well, you know, it's true, though. I mean, I, and it started very young. I remember being pallbearers at my great-grandmother's funeral, my grandfather's funeral, my uncle's funeral, and a bunch of people just over the years. So the joke goes, I've been in so many funerals, always a pallbearer. Yeah, and that kind of kicked off the thing I saw, and I really enjoyed it. This whole idea of going through the news, so you've got to keep up on things, right? I mean, you're getting the newspaper every day. You're watching whatever your favorite 24-hour news is to really kind of keep up and be topical. Yeah, it's you know, I, I'm old school. I do still read the newspaper. I love the 50-state wrap-up they have in USA Today. That's where I get a lot of my stories from. But recently with the COVID, I mean, everything's COVID-related. So at a point, you just it's, it's too much. I just want to get back to people just being silly. But it's kind of hard to be funny about COVID, right? Well, Stephen, let me just say this. COVID-19, when it hits 20 cells, you know, the COVID-19 virus can live four days on a toilet seat, beating out Elvis by three. Oh, I like that. Okay, very good. <laughs> I, I told that joke in Memphis. I got nothing. <laughs> you can be funny about stuff. It, but again, you know, it's. I always say, you know, what's it, what's in your heart? I mean, are you doing it to be mean? Or are you doing it to try to just let's, let's laugh at this stuff because it's just too much? It's overwhelming. Well, that's what I got from your presentation was it didn't have that 
edge. You know, some of these things have that really like strong political edge where you almost know where you're supposed to laugh. Well, you know, I, I'm old school in the sense that like Johnny Carson made fun of both sides, you know. So whenever I do a political joke, I try to do one towards the other side, too. They don't know where you're coming from. And, you know, you lose half the audience anyway when you start picking a side. Why would you want to tick off 50% of people that can come back and see him, buy your comedy, and so forth? It's called insecurity. So in that way, when they don't come back, you feel they feel justified. I don't know. <laughs> I just, you know what? My, my, my whole career, I, you know, I was taught, it was funny, there's a comedian named Jackie Kahane. He opened for Elvis for years. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. He took me under his wing. He was a writer's manager. And, you know, he taught me about stuff like that. You know, he would say that, you know, you, you, you have to not pick a side. You have to make fun of both sides. And, you know, you learn it. So I'm kind of old school when it comes to stuff like that. More with stand-up comedian Bob Zaney, who's appearing at the grand reopening of the Laugh Factory over at the Tropicana from November 5th through the 8th in just a few moments. We're really excited here about our latest project. It's called Sports Rock and Tours. You've been hearing it for the last couple of months on the show, and we're expanding. Soon, we're going to add an additional hour, and we have a great new website. Go to sportsracks, it's spelled R-A-C-X dot com, on the web. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, Sports Rock and Tours. And you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hi, I'm Gordy Brown, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Giants dog food Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? General Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our General Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. An adult elephant can weigh up to six tons. The average person, 150 pounds. Ever heard of carfentanil? It's a large wild animal tranquilizer. Illegal drug dealers lace heroin with it. It can kill the average human. If you or a loved one is addicted to opiates, even pain pills, don't wait until it's too late. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. We care. Many of us have been where you are. We'll take you or a loved one away from the drug environment to a place you can clean out safely. Plus, we'll work with your insurance company to make sure you get the treatment you need. And with a Family Medical Leave Act, you're allowed by law to get away for help without telling your employer why. Call now to save a life. 877-927-3380. 877-927-3380. That's 877-927-3380.
You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Bob Zaney, who is appearing at the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana from November 5th through the 8th. You know, you mentioned before, and I want to talk a little about it, about being on KLOS, and I went to college in Los Angeles, so I know that's a big deal. That's a big station, and you're coming on, and I think doing something like that kind of puts the pressure on you, doesn't it? Because a lot of comics come up with a particular shtick. They do it every time. They kind of polish it and stuff. But if you're coming on a radio show and every week it's different, you got to come up with new materials. Is that Does that keep you sharp, or is that just really hard? It was hard when I was younger, but now it's not. It's like it's not that I'm disciplined. I just know when I need to do it and how to do it. But uh, the, the the interesting story about KLOS was, you know, I grew up in West Covina, which is a suburb of L.A., and I went to Mount San Antonio College, and I, I was going to get a two-year degree in radio and TV broadcasting. And the first thing they teach you is don't think you're going to go to L.A. or New York and get a radio job. So I did like three semesters and did all the stuff I was supposed to do. And I went and auditioned for the radio station at the college, which the signal basically went out to the parking lot. Yeah, right. And the guy turned me down. And, you know, that was like, you know, a light bulb went off. I go, why am I here? Why am I doing this to myself? I want to do stand-up anyway. So I moved from West Covina to, you know, the Valley. And I started, uh, become, I became a messenger and was delivering to all the studios and celebrities and stuff. And uh, I uh, ran into Fraser Smith at KLOS, and he said, can you write for me? I said, sure. And then one day he said, can you, can you do some call-ins to my show? And I did. And they got so popular, the, the program director hired me. And, uh, you know, I was there for three years and learned a lot. And, you know, but I was always doing stand-up at night. So that was always my bread and butter. You talk about taking rejection. Another time you took rejection and it worked out real well was at the Ice House. I'm real familiar with that. It's a tiny little club in Pasadena, California. They've had some big acts there, but it's it's small. You went up there, auditioned. They told you you weren't ready, and you said neither is the club. You managed to uh, work out a deal where you had your own show there, though, and you had some big names come in there. Guys like Gary Shandling, Kevin Nealon. What a great opportunity. Uh, was that Yakov Smirnoff, Robert Wool. It was really cool. But, you know, they were comics that were working and they were, you know, they hadn't, you know, made it yet either. But I was a young kid and they were always like 10 or 15 years older than me. And uh, it was a great experience. Well, you know, one of the things you do on stage, too, which I find interesting and I wanted to ask you about is you're always smoking a cigar. And I think of like Ron White does that. And, of course, George Burns was famous for that many years ago. Is that something that just kind of helps you? Is, is kind of almost eh, crutches the wrong word, but just like a prop that you use that kind of relaxes you when you're up there? Or is it just you well, like to smoke cigars? I, I, I in my younger days, I smoked them. I haven't smoked them in years now on stage, but uh you know, I it's late '80s. I, I came out with cigar, and it was a uh, it was just like I was doing a throwback to the old time comics. And in 1984, I actually did a TV sitcom called George Burns Comedy Week. I didn't get to meet George, but uh, Steve Martin was the executive producer. So I, you know, George is like I've read a couple books that he wrote back in the '70s, and what a fascinating life that that man had. But he talked about the cigar in the sense that it was for his timing. And uh, it's like, I, I like being on stage with a mic stand in front of me, but I always go off mic all the time. But I like to, to know it's right there. Yeah. So it is, I think, a security blanket of some sort, maybe, having the cigar. But One of the things you mentioned there was like with George Burns was timing. 
is that a thing where I guess as you get get on in years, track move on. It's that pause. That pause can mean a lot of almost as much as what you say, right? If you can just give that and kind of match it with maybe like a, yeah. like a strange look, that kind of thing. Well, Jack Benny was the king of that. I mean, he he would just give a look and get thirty seconds to a minute of laughter, you know. But every comedian uh, is different in that sense. But uh, you know, uh, comedy. It as you do it more and more and more live, it you just it becomes who you are. Uh, your own thing, you know? So I got uh, timing. Why everyone's always told me what great timing I have. And it's not like I went to timing school, <laughs> you know, it's not like I have a timing belt that I have to change at 60,000 miles. It's just, I guess it's an eight with me now. So I, I know when to pause and when not to pause and whatever. And sometimes you, you know, you're not perfect every night cause it's live. It's not like, you know, you're doing a sitcom where you can take three or four scenes and, and pick the best one. Is that something you always had a dream for? Because it seemed like every stand-up always wanted to have a sitcom. Is that something you ever thought of? No, uh, you know, I always wanted my own talk show, and I actually uh, I kind of accomplished that. In fact, uh, up at the Nugget at Carson City, we did a few test shows called Carson City Tonight, and it was I was doing like the Johnny Carson format, mm-hmm. and uh, so I yeah, it's something I would love to still do, and who knows, maybe I'll do it. It'll just be for an older audience, but you know. My audiences are young and old, and and the young people really find it refreshing what I do because they haven't been exposed to the you know the old school comedy, and I always kind of describe my act as I'm old school meets new school with a back to school chaser. <laughs> well, it's certainly worth going to YouTube and looking at Dry Bar. I'm telling you, we passed it around to friends and family and. Everybody loved it. Everybody. It went across the board. So I think that's a real skill to that. I think people are going to love this. You got to be excited about coming out to the Trop. Is it it's going to feel good to be back in Vegas doing this? Yeah. And, you know, I moved to Vegas, so I live here now. And uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, I just moved here last year from living in Los Angeles my whole life. Yeah. And I got out. I think I got out at the right time. And, yeah, uh, yeah I know. I can't. I have so many friends that still live there and are going, you got to get out. It's It's over. Trust me. I well, think it's going to be. I think what the California is going to be a great Venezuela. They're doing a great <laughs> job of going towards that direction. That's a sad thought, having grown up in California. And I know you lived a lot of years in California. It's 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 really sad to see what's happened there. Well, it's a, it's great when you can watch people destroy a state. It's they're just <laughs> doing a heck of a job. But uh, yeah, and I've been to all fifty states, and I've performed in thirteen countries now. So. You know, it's like you get a whole perspective about life. And, 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 you know, half my life I've been on the road anyway. So moving here, it was a little, I still kind of, you know, I, it's my home, you know. L.A. was my home, but it's, it was time. Like you can, no one yeah. can afford it. No, no. And uh, Las Vegas is a great place to live. I think we're glad to have you here. Bob, you. Bob Zaney, he will be again one more time at the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana if you're going to visit then or you're in town November 5th through the 8th. And if not, you got to at least go to YouTube, see the Dry Bar comedy, uh, get a little taste of it there. You can buy it, I think, on the Dry Bar uh, website. Uh, well, Oh, you it. can? Yeah. I, I, I don't have to. <laughs> you got it for free. Well, we got to come and see Bob. Maybe you can slip him a couple of bucks and he'll yeah. make sure you can get that. Well, if you get the app, I think you can watch it for free. That's what they want. So I don't, you know, I, I'm learning all this stuff. You know, there's so many mediums out there now, as you know. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. Really enjoyed talking with you. Hope to have you on again. You're the best, Steve. Bye bye. 
Remember, all our shows are archived on our website, VegasNeverSleeps.com. You can also listen on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. Coming up, Vegas Never Sleeps presents Sports Rockin' Tours. In just a few moments, you'll meet Hall of Fame quarterback Fran Tarkenton. In December, we're going to add an additional hour of Sports Rockin' Tours, and we have a new website that you can visit today. Go to SportsRacks at SportsRacks.com on the web, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Sports Rockin' Tours, which is next. In the meantime, always remember, Vegas never sleeps. Vegas, here we go! They were there when history was made. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Inside the 20. Touchdown! A Rackham Tour is a storyteller. Welcome to the Sports Rackham Tour. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! The Sports Tours dusts off the great American art of storytelling. From the players, coaches, media, the people who were there. Smith corks one in the right, down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. Go crazy. Now, here's Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Sports Rockin' Tours, a show that presents the observations, recollections, and memories of a select group of storytellers who represent the past half century or so of American sports. Today, you'll meet a Hall of Fame quarterback who starred on the field, in the broadcast booth, hosting one of the very first reality television shows, and also a star in the world of business. We all see the great quarterbacks of the NFL right now. Everybody's talking about Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. They dominate the game. Guys that can not only throw but run, but we have the guy who started it all with us today, the great Fran Tarkenton from the Minnesota Vikings and New York Giants. Fran, when you see that right now, are you kind of brought back and say, my God, they're just kind of getting now what I started a long time ago? Well, as you know, I I, I came... I was a third-round draft choice. I was six feet tall, 190 pounds. Uh, I was a third-round choice because they didn't think I could play. Tom Brady was a a fifth-round choice. They didn't think he could play. John Unitas back in that era, and when I got in the league, he was the king of king, lord of lords, and he was a free agent. They didn't get drafted, and two teams had cut him before the Colts got him. And back then... You are a pocket quarterback. There's no such thing as a mobile quarterback that we see today. I came in, and I was mobile. And, and But what they don't understand is that a quarterback's job is to put points on the board and keep his defense off the field and eat up clock. And I, I never wanted to make great throws. I want to make easy throws. And so I, this I was doing in college. And I did it in high school, but nobody saw it, of course. But up there, from day one, that's how I played. If you don't have 
a mobile quarterback who can throw, then you're dead. You're drafted by an expansion team, and all that running around that you did, the scrambling and so forth, actually, with an, with an expansion offensive line, that made a lot of sense because it kept you healthier than trying to go back there and stand well, and wait. Well, for your list, just back then, it was 1961, I was drafted in the third round. We were a new franchise team. No new franchise team had ever won a game, not one game in their, in their first season. 1960, a year before I came into the league, Tom Landry, the great Tom Landry, he had uh, Don Meredith as his quarterback. And they did not win a game the first year. When we came in and when the Dallas Cowboys came in, every team in the league, it was 40 players you had, you could freeze your 34 best players. And we got to pick three players from your roster of the bottom six. First of all, no team then or today have 34 good players. You just don't. So we got the dregs, so nobody won. So we were playing a 12-game season that year. We opened the season against the Chicago Bears. And for your listeners, that was Chicago Bears were owned by George Hallis. He was also the general manager. He also was the head coach. And he also was the founder of the National Football League. So he made sure from the 40s to the 50s to the 60s that he got the best players. Right. So we're playing on our first game against them, and they're the monsters of the midway. They were the New England Patriots of that era, and we were 28-point underdogs. And I am put in at the end of the first quarter, and we were behind six to nothing. We, we had not made a first down. I have three quarters. And I go and come in, and I am mobile, and I am running, and I'm throwing from that position. And we beat them 37-13. to 13. Unheard of. Maybe wow. the biggest upset in the history. And in that, I completed in those three quarters of play, 17 of 20 passes, to 21 passes, for 237 yards. I threw for four touchdowns and ran for one in three quarters. 237 yards is like throwing for 600 today. And yeah. that started, and, I, and, I, and I, we won three games that year out of 12. That was a real big, big deal at that time. Three wins yeah. for an expansion team was great. Yeah, and you know, another team, we beat the Bears, and we beat the Baltimore Colts, and they were winning championships every other year, and their quarterback was John Unitas. And they had, they had, Gino Marchetti on their defense and Big Daddy Lipscomb on the defense. They had Lenny Moore, a great running back. They had Raymond Berry, one of the greatest. They had great players. And we beat them 27-17. But you had a coach. You couldn't have had a more difficult guy to work with, Norm Van Brocklin, who was always questioning, I remember that, uh, height, arm strength, and ability to stay in the pocket and stuff. And yet you managed to work that and and win. Was it frustrating with him? What was that relationship like? I'll tell you what it was. He was great for me in this regard. He was brilliant quarterback. He was a brilliant. He understood it. He had great backgrounds of playing with the L.A. Rams, and he played for Sid Gilman, who was a he was a offensive passing game savant. He was way ahead of everybody else. I learned the offensive football from him. I had learned it from Sid Luckman. I learned it from 
from Y.A. Tittle because I was inquisitive. And so after my fourth year, I was called, I was running the offense. But with all of his goodness in there, he was the most distressed, disturbed, dysfunctional human being I've ever known. That's why I left and went to, to New York because I couldn't play for him. I told him that. With you, it's followed you throughout your career, and we'll get back to football, but I think about going up to the broadcast booth, sitting in there with Howard Cosell, and then in the world of business, you've kind of dominated, and I think it's because of this confidence. It applies across the board, doesn't it? No question. I have done much more in business than I had in football. I've been in, I was in business while I was playing football. I've started 25 businesses, and here I am at 80 years old today. We are changing the face of small business America, 30 million small businesses out there, and they have a hard time getting a, getting a customer, doing marketing. It's expensive. And we have, we're tearing it up with digital marketing, using social uh, uh, technology to be able to let these small business people go out and be able to acquire customers and get prospects for pennies on the dollars that they never could do before. We're changing the way it's done. I am so excited that we're able to do that. And here are our partners, Apple, Google, ADP, the company that's 75 years old that made its name in payroll. And we're, we're working with all these people who have access to, to technology, and we are, we're changing the world of marketing and, 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 and getting advertising and sales for small business entrepreneurs. It's, it's just, it's, a, it's an unbelievable, I never thought in my 80 years that we would ever get to the point now of being able to use technology to help these people uh, get more customers. And the same thing in football. I never thought the, the establishment of football would ever evolve into the technology juggernaut that it is today. It's pretty exciting. We'll be back with former NFL star quarterback Fran Tarkenton in just a moment. Just a reminder, please visit Sports Rockin' Tours online for our podcast, blog, and lots of new stuff on our website and social media. Go to sportsracks.com on the web, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You're listening to Sports Rockin' Tours with Stephen Manchin. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.
Welcome back to Sports Rockin' Tours. You're listening to Fran Tarkenton, Hall of Fame quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings and the New York Giants, as well as broadcasting star of Monday Night Football with Howard Cosell, Don Meredith, and Frank Gifford. He was also a co-host of one of the very first reality shows, That's Incredible, and today is a highly successful entrepreneur. You are definitely have an entrepreneurial spirit. Did you think about signing with the AFL at all? Because I know the Patriots drafted yeah. you. And that, that style of football that guys like Sid Gilman and Al Davis and we, yeah. eventually Weeb Eubank, have you ever think, like, gee, that might have been fun? Yeah, I, I, I tell you what happened. I was drafted by the Boston Patriots, now the New England Patriots, and I was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, who had never had a team. And the AFL only been in for about two years, so nobody knew whether it was going to make it or not. I got drafted in both places. And New England or, or, or Minnesota offered me, and your listeners are going to love this, they offered me $12,500 salary and a $3,000 bonus. The New England Patriots offered me $12,500 salary with a $5,000 bonus. And... I took the Viking one because I wanted to go and play in the best league against the best players because I didn't think that they would ever make it. So I did make a very good financial decision, maybe a career decision. It had been better to go there. But, but that's how that, that all uh, broke out. You traded back to the Vikings, and they say actually that those were the two of the greatest trades in Vikings history, both coming <laughs> and going. You know, But you come back, Bud Grant it just worked, right? Bud Grant got you. Well, he did get me, and I had not known him before, and he saved my life. And uh, he was a phenomenal head coach. He, uh, he He's in the Hall of Fame. I had an offensive coordinator, Jerry Burns, and Burnsy and Bud said to me, we want to do the offense like you want to do the offense. We want to put the schemes in that you want to put in. And Jerry Burns was a great offensive coordinator, and he allowed me to work with him 50-50 on putting the stuff in. And he had great ideas, and he was a savant. And we just, we for, for our six last six years of my career there, uh, actually seven, I guess it was six, five, seven years, we had, we had the best system, offensive system in football. And when my backups would go in and play a game here or there, exhibition season or what, they played great because our system was great. And that's because Bud let me work with Jerry Burns to, you know, to really do that. And I, and I liked th- that whole thing. And I was qualified to do it because I'd been coached in, by players that I didn't play with. Like, like I mentioned, Sid Luckman, Y.A. Tittle, John Unitas, and, and so forth. I learned from them. I, I played in Pro Bowls under Don Shula, uh, Tom Landry, and, and uh, uh, Vince Lombardi. And I, I wore them out with questions. Nobody can do it by yourselves. If you're not curious in whatever you're doing in life and you're not asking the people that know they've done it before you've done it and you don't learn from that and you're not trying to learn something every day, then you're not going to get your maximum performance. And that's that's what I did. Three Super Bowls you guys go to. And it yeah. has to be frustrating because you played possibly the three, certainly the three best teams of the decade, right? Dolphins, Steelers, and Raiders. Well, I wasn't myself in any of the games. I had... Uh, I had torn at before the first game of the championship game with the rest. I tore uh, a ligament in my knee, which couldn't be fixed. You just couldn't do those operations back then. So I had I had no legs. And when we when we played Oakland, I was 37 years old, and 
I, I'd had shoulder problems all my career because I got it separated when I was in high school and I was playing with a bum shoulder my entire career. And the year I go to that Super Bowl, I couldn't, I couldn't throw it 40 yards, but I could play. And so we just hit it at a bad time. Our roster was pretty old. The Purple People Eaters were older. They were in their mid-30s and late-30s. And that's not excuses. That's just what it was. We, we, we didn't get to play at our peak. And, uh, and, and we didn't prepare. The Super Bowl was different. We didn't even practice. The, there was a two-week span there. And we took the, the week after the championship game off. And we didn't practice until we got to where we were playing the Super Bowl the Monday before the Super Bowl. We took the whole week off. No other team had done that. So we really didn't have, we didn't have the preparation uh, that, that needed to be. But we didn't know about Super Bowls. We didn't know about how to do those things then. Your career ends, and I, I want to cover this. You, you go up to Monday Night Football. Now, yeah. that was a big deal back It's not as big a deal now, yeah. but it was a big yeah. deal back then. And you're following Meredith and so forth, and you got to go up with Cosell. What was that like, and was it just a question of um, just talking to you now? I got a feeling that uh, confidence wasn't one of your problems. No, it wasn't, and, and they wanted me to do that. And I was already building businesses. That was my priority then. But by doing Monday Night Football, I also did a show on ABC called That's Incredible. That gave me money to build my businesses. And I I really had no interest in being in the booth doing uh, Monday Night Football. And, and, And after three years or so, I quit. Because, you know, you get in the booth, and I was in the booth with Howard Cosell. Dandy Don Meredith was one of my great friends. Frank Gifford was great. So we would rotate. It would be three of us at a time. Gifford was there all the time, and Dandy and I would rotate. And I hated it because I'm up in the booth, and they're playing the game down. So what are you going to say? Nice nice throw, nice catch, nice pass. Oh, he made a bad play. You have nothing. No, nothing's at stake. I, 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 I go into the booth. I'm not excited. Game's over. I don't care who won or lost because I wasn't part of it. It wasn't my thing. Yeah. I was building businesses. I wanted to go out there and do something productive, build businesses, help people do better. And and I, after three years, I didn't want any more to do with it. You talk about your time on Saturday Night Live. I remember that. You were very comfortable in that. And it kind of makes me wonder, do you yeah. ever think of doing like the Jim Brown thing where you could become a full-time actor? Because you, you seemed really <laughs> natural at that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did fine on that. And it was all, uh, and, but I had a good coach. I did four or five skits. I knew nothing about acting or being an actor, and I went to my coach again. I went to get Bill Murray. First year he was on the show, and he was a genius. And I said, Bill, help me. I cannot be you, but show me how you would do these skits. And he did. And because of that, it worked. But it, it, that wasn't in my blood. Yeah. I needed something more. I needed to be something competitive, and business is competitive. And you've got to have – you've got to have – something that, that solves problems for people and and you're you're on the line every day and you got to be better t- today than you were yesterday it just had all the ingredients that I liked and I so as soon as I, I got enough investment to go and start these businesses then I stopped doing that also and after that it's been everything to the wall in trying to uh, uh, build businesses I, and again I built 25 of them and the last 15 years, I've been all about small business with a company that I invented and started called GoSmallBiz.com. And we're just knocking the cover off the ball. We are just helping 
29 million small businesses in America, one to 25 employees, have the knowledge, interest, and tools to be able to em- em- embrace digital marketing and help them cost-effectively get access to customers. Because you can, you know, if you're if you're a small business person with with little or no experience, or you don't have the money that big companies have. You got to compete against big companies. Uh, you you you've really got to be able to have products and services that someone wants in, a, in an effective way to get to, to, to get to that market. And so that's what, who I am and what I am. And I love this. And I'm in my office right now. Fran, if we want to get on your team, and I think I'd recommend it to small businesses, where do we go again? Well, somebody could just look at what we do. You just go to gosmallbiz.com, go, go and you'll see a lot of information of what we do and how we do it. And it's a way to get in touch with us if uh, you have an interest in doing some work. But we are we're really having a great time uh, helping those people and we're we're doing it because i understand teams win individuals don't so we're partnering with adp we partner with google we partner with 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 apple we we partner with uh, everybody that's lesser than that 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 really has something that comes to the table that can help that small business entrepreneur and uh, so that's why at 80 we're going 100 miles an hour well that's exciting thank you fran tarkin hope to have you on again sometime it was great all right Anytime you like. Thank you. Please visit Sports Rock and Tours online for a podcast, a blog, lots of new stuff on our website, social media, and more. Speaking of social media, remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manch. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com.